Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. everyone so let's start off with some quick announcements for this podcast episode the first one is that march is women's history month and also i'm going to talk about earth hour earth hour is always on march 27th or around that date the the changes happen every year or so and the first one happened in um, 2010 on March the 27th so that was the first occurrence of Earth Hour and it's usually uh, on or about that date but it's uh, almost always the last Saturday of March and it occurs between the hours of 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Next we're going to dive into some headlines from the hemispheres. It's a quick briefing on environmental news globally. The first headline is all about California and farmers. So California's strict air quality regulations help farmers prosper. You can learn more about that news piece on Environmental News Network, otherwise known as ENN.com. There was a recent study that was published in Nature Food, and it was about how researchers were, you know, they're from the University of California at Irvine and a few other institutions. They were in collaboration and they conducted a huge statistical analysis of pollution and pollution exposure uh, from uh, different crop yields from the years 1980 to 2015. And so you may be wondering, what crops were they uh, looking at? So we're looking at perennial crops, perennial plants, uh, foods like almonds, grapes, nectarines, peaches, strawberries, and walnuts. Uh, Perennial plants, uh, which I found out, are uh, plants that uh, live more than two years. The result of the research was that there were reductions in the ground ozone uh, during this 35-year span, and it resulted in $600 million worth of increased production uh, annually by the early 2010s. Researchers, they also, in their research, projected that there are going to be uh, yield changes up to 2050. Next is the second headline, and it's about skin, uh, specifically melanoma, and uh, it being seen a little bit less in Americans over the decades. So melanoma is killing fewest Americans in decades. You can learn more about that piece on SteinsDaily.com in the Science News section. 
So because there have been uh, advanced treatments of a melanoma, uh, and it's led to something really, really big, it's led to the largest annual decrease and decline in deaths due to the skin cancer. This is according to research that was done by the Pearl Muter Cancer Center at the the NYU Grossman School of Medicine and also Harvard University. So the authors they say that the size of the declines they outpace uh, similar decreases in other types of cancer. So prostate cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, and three other specific types of cancer, uh, melanoma deaths are decreased, um, and they outpace all those other uh, figures for those cancers. The report was published online uh, on March uh, 19th, and it was done online, and so you can check it out. Uh, It's in the American Journal of Public Health, According to some estimates, melanoma is among the most common forms of cancer in the United States, with about 100,000 new cases occurring annually. And then lastly is some really good news about NASA, China, and the coronavirus. So NASA images show air pollution in China dropped during the coronavirus slowdown. And you can learn more about that news piece on uh, HuffPost uh, in its environment section. So China is really, really strong in the world, not just as a a major player in uh, the economic sphere, but uh, it also is a powerhouse. And so it's the largest, the second largest uh, economy in the world. And as far as what NASA has uh, They've, they've found some interesting uh, aerial photos and how the economy in China has kind of had a stark contrast to what it was uh, earlier. So as far as the photos it took, it took them um, from January 1st to the 20th and then compared those photos to about a month later to uh, February 10th to the 25th, and they showed two different aerial landscapes, one of a polluted China, um, specifically in uh, hotspot regions, big cities, areas like that, um, and it was a decrease that was amazing uh, in the next uh, month in February. There was the uh, the toxic nitri- nitrogen dioxide, which is pretty harmful um, to humans in our environment. It's emitted through things like uh, power plants, industrial facilities, motor vehicles, other sources. That was a huge toxin that was seen in the aerial, aerial photos in January and then not so much in February. Uh, the citywide quarantine of Wuhan was seen as a help aiding in creating that clear air phenomenon. All right, so the news out of this podcast episode is coming mainly out of ENN.com. And so uh, ENN.com is Environmental News Network, a really, really great source um, for analytical news, environmental news, research. They have tons of different topics that you can, of course, search um, and look up all the information that's there. They have scientists from all over the world uh, doing amazing things in environmental news. Uh, the reason for this episode is, you know, simple. I think that food is super important. Food is a is a daily necessity. Um, people are starving um, in the world, and then there are those who have too much to eat 
and you know ob- obesity being uh, an, you know a thing that um, is killing us every day and so you know it's not advertising it's at work uh, driving from work at home you know there's so many options to food um, and as our population our world population uh, gets bigger and bigger is projected to be in in the 9 billion uh, range by 2050, we should be looking at alternatives to food or looking at foods that we already have and how we can make them better or getting rid of some food groups um, totally, foods that are unsustainable for our our human bodies, sustainable, unsustainable uh, for the animals and the plant habitats and the biodiversity uh, that will be suffering if nothing changes. So I was fascinated with looking at, okay, what foods are we going to eat in the future? Some of these foods uh, you may, you know, have heard of. Some of them you may, you know, not have really uh, thought of as foods to eat because they don't seem as attainable or you don't know where to start. But we're going to look at uh, some of these and sort of make them um, more palatable, something that can be um, seen as an idea to uh, incorporate into your diet uh, to eat and to enjoy. So we're going to look at uh, what will the food of the future look like and we'll, so we're going to start off there. So uh, like I said before, society has a, a myriad of issues to deal with uh, globally and not just in the U.S. but especially here in the U.S. obesity um, is I'd say a top 10 figure as far as the the leading cause of deaths um, in the country. Uh, Hunger is uh, something to grapple with too. You know, in uh, the world, 30% of uh, food um, or 30 to 50% of food is wasted and hasn't even gotten to your plate. But here in the U.S., it's more like 40%. Um, So we have to deal with the real life issues of food insecurity, uh, having too much food at times, and also grappling with obesity. And so I think dealing with alternatives to what we can uh, consider as traditional food, they're in order. We have to think about uh, where our food is going to come from, how we can sustain um, ourselves in the future, and how we can, you know, not chop down wonderful forests and trees just for farmland or just for food for animals. The Food and Agricultural uh, Organization, or FAO, they're pretty big. Um, and they created a list of food options, some of which I'm going to talk about, and they and they mentioned them as possible options, you know, for the perils that we face and that we're going to face, and be and have these be um, a part of the solutions that we're going to need um, in fighting um, against being hungry, you know, having uh, too much food that is grown but not enough mouths mouths to get fed. Um, that is a real worry even now um, in the world. Food security researchers, they're actual researchers, and there were some from the University of Guelph um, and the Errol Food Institute, and they kind of raised some caution um, regarding like scientific evidence and how these foods can maybe sustain the planet. There, there's always going to be some um, research that needs to be done. Um, in implementing uh, something as wide scale as foods that are going to feed millions if not billions of people. But uh, with these foods, these these novel foods um, uh, that the European Commission, they, they know about novel foods, it's, it's something that I just learned about. You know, novel foods is an interesting term. You know, what is what are novel foods? Novel foods 
are those without a history of consumption in the region. So foods that don't really have any historical ties to the region, foods that maybe not um maybe are not traditionally grown in a certain area um, of the world, you know, there there are non-native foods. There are foods that are grown there because um, they need the space. Um, one such example may be um, cattle fields and cattle fields in Brazil. Brazil, um, parts of it is, is sure known to cultivate uh, uh, livestock, but not at the rate to where you have to chuck uh, and burn down your Amazon rainforest just to supplement it for uh, wildlife, just to cement it, just to supplement it for growing feed to fuel the cows of which we eat. And that meat goes all over the world. Uh, novel foods, they've really uh, grown up, uh, really, and, you know, they're, they're used to sort of meet or at least try to meet the needs um, of our, our health goals, um, you know, our changing diets that are going to have to happen. Uh, some of these foods, three in particular that we're going to talk about and learn a little bit more about, are lab-grown meat, um, insect farming, so insects and getting to eat those, and also uh, seaweed uh, aquaculture. So the first is um, about lab-grown meat and all about it being sort of experimental uh, or produced now, but still kind of a sketchy um, type of food group that many people aren't really getting on board with. I mean, there are some people who are, but for the vast, for the vast majority, there are tons of people who still love their meat. Um, I want to tell you how it started. It started back in 2013, and it kind of exploded around this Google co-founder, uh, Sergey Brin, and he invested a ton of money into uh, the production of lab-grown meat, about 250,000 euros, uh, just to make a cultured burger. And after this happened, um, there was a huge tasting event, and it was publicized on TV. And then after that, you saw an explosion of lab-grown meat and plant-based meat products, and they popped up all over in North America and in Europe. So in North America, you have companies like Memphis Meats and Beyond Burger and others, plenty others. And also in Europe, they have Mosa Meat. So uh, those companies uh, really started taking off after this time. So cultured meat um, is really about it growing in its natural uh, growth uh, factors that are added to it. You have the spices, you have your salts, amino acids to give it the taste of what you're used to. But uh, growing meat is a whole science in itself. Um, and that's something that a lot of people are think is foreign and pretty strange in itself. But lab-grown meat has the potential to meet our alternatives to animal products. It really does. And it doesn't mean that we have to kill animals in doing so. So lab-grown meat, uh, it provides uh, consumers, us customers who buy it, with getting that meat-like protein, but it's a lot less land-intensive and water-intensive. Now, there is a downside to cultured meat. Uh, the downside is it is that um, there is a lot of energy that's used in the output to power the labs and to get that energy there just to make uh, you know certain amounts or certain quantities of that cultured meat. 
Um, next, number two is where we're going to get into um, having uh, the idea of insects as food. So um, entomography is the uh, official word for it. And so eating insects is really normalized in a lot of, a lot of parts of the world. Um, in, in many places outside of the U.S., it's just like, you know, eating a snack. And more and more recently, it's been used as or seen as a possible option just to fuel the world. Insects are amazing in their protein uh, abilities and they're sustainable that way because there's tons and tons of insects. Um, and they, they produce about the same amount or um, similar amounts as uh, conventional poultry, beef, pork, um, and they have far fewer uh, feed requirements. So insects don't uh, require a lot uh, like animals do. And there are other studies that actually estimate that insects require 25 times less uh, land resources, uh, like uh, unlike conventional beef, and they have or need half the energy and only one-third of uh, the amount of water resources. Now, from a nutritional standpoint, um, you know, insects are amazing with their protein, um, micronutrients, minerals. They are really, really beneficial for you. And so what they need to survive are things like, like that we need. So we need, you know, our fruits, grains, um, uh, vegetables and fruits and things like that. And they need the same. They need fruits. They need veggies. They need grains. They need um, organic waste um, products. So things like compost to feed on. And we're going to need those in huge numbers, though, if we're going to really have um, insects as a viable option. That's the only thing we have to worry about. And then uh, lastly, the third uh, option that can really sustain us and be like a possible um, option for us is something like seafood, uh, seaweed, uh, seaweed solution, not seaweed, not seafood, uh, seaweed. Um, so for our future, um, we can look towards diets that are already um, full of uh, seaweed. So seaweed is prevalent and is well known in East Asian uh, culture. It reigns supreme. And in 2015, global seaweed production totaled 30.4 million tons uh, in wet weight. Um, so that's a big number um, as far as weight uh, capacity. Seaweed is pretty versatile. You can use it um, you know, to eat with, you can use it to feed animals, small marine life. Um, it's great as a bioenergy fuel and also as a food thickener amongst other uses. Seaweed really does um, a great job of, of um, absorbing carbon from our oceans, from our ocean waters, and also taking nutrients that were already released due to traditional agricultural practices. Seaweed um, is super nutritious and it's really similar to its um, to something that's similar like soy in its protein amounts, though there's a downside to it. And the downside is that there can be uh, too much harvesting um, of certain types of seaweed and also that encourages selective breeding, which is not um, at all what we want to see if we're trying to cultivate seaweed. And also, this in turn leads to something like uh, decreased biodiversity or diversity of the uh, seaweed. It makes it more exposed to pests and it affects local ecosystems. 
So those are the three uh, foods that uh, will be in our future. They are coming, but these are definitely viable options, I think. And so I'm going to jump uh, to my commentary next. So I'm really on board with all three of these options. Um, I've talked about in previous podcast episodes, my love for um, guacamole and eating that and being full for like hours into the next day. Same thing when I eat sofritas and uh, when I have my brown rice uh, with it and my uh, pinto and black beans. Um, I love it. And I'm full from eating those satiating uh, foods and they're fulfilling. Um, You know, they happen to be soy-based, especially with the sofritas, not with the guac. But these foods are are uh, non-meat-based foods um, and they are very filling. I think that the foods that I talked about earlier that we learned about a bit more in depth, these are the foods of our future now. You know, eating seaweed, there are plenty of other cultures around the world, other uh, uh, nationalities, those people who live outside of the U.S. and maybe um, wherever you're listening, they are already eating seafood, they are already eating insects. I think uh, these options are somewhat new to those in North America, those in Canada, in the U.S., maybe even Mexico. Um, because we aren't traditionally uh, used to eating these foods and having them in our American diet, having them in our North American diet. Um, I think that uh, with the uh, the the bigger population that we're slated to have um, in the decades to come, we're going to have to get used to eating insects, eating uh, uh, crickets, and eating uh, bugs that you know we may not have even thought about eating in the past 50 years. Um, and making it fun to eat them, making it experimental, but also delicious. You know, if something's made delicious, we here in the U.S., we're going to grab onto it. We're going to eat it. You know, that's as plain as that's as plain as day. And that's how uh, we're going to make something tasty. Um, when it comes to the lab-grown meat, I love the concept. And I've been on board for a few years now. Um, I've talked about uh, just a few podcast episodes ago, uh, my love for Beyond Meat. I've never. I've tried the Impossible Burger as well. I love that too. But the Beyond Meat is stellar. Like I couldn't get enough. I ate the uh, few packages that I had of it. A uh, very reasonably priced. Really great. Um, you can find it online. Um, on its store, it's getting ready to be um, up and running. But you can definitely find it within uh, the U.S. Probably in other parts in uh, North America. Um, I'm not sure of abroad though, but definitely ask your American friends, um, you know, where to, uh, you know, get it next time you, maybe you're in the country. I wish it was more, um, accessible, um, of everywhere internationally so that other people could partake in it. But that's one of the examples of, uh, lab grown meat, you know, close to home, essentially. Um, when it comes to the insects, I I know that, um, and I was reading um, in the article that those who maybe have seafood allergies, they're probably going to not have as much luck um, eating insects because they could be allergic. But those who maybe aren't, uh, you know, allergic or have seafood or um, shellfish allergies, maybe you are, you know, better slated to eat insects. Maybe, you know, you just have to get over the yuck factor. I know that it's there because... You know, it's like, oh, who wants to eat bugs or ew, they may taste gross or, you know, they may not taste like chicken or, 
you know, how do I buy these? Or do I have to eat mealworms? Or all these other complaints people may have. Um, I think that there, it's natural to have um, those worries because, um, you know, in in the Western diet, as people would say, um, it's not a normalized thing. It's not a normalized event. It's not a normalized part of our diet to eat uh, insects that come out of the ground or that crawl or that fly. You know, we, we'd rather beat them off or kill them with our shoes or, you know, spray them than to eat them. Than to eat them. Um, but I think the the chance to make um, these these insects uh, more yummy by incorporating them in recipes and normalizing them socially uh, to be eaten, that's the number one task that has to be done, I think, before trying to get the American public um, on board with eating them. Like, if this was more normalized in commercials and celebrities eating them or it being um, inexpensive to have access to these insects and 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 getting us eating them for years and years, maybe then um, the American public at large would have more um, of a better relationship with uh, eating insects. I think that's number one thing. Um, and I also think culturally, there's um, different ways that we look at insects. Um, in I have to say, in American society... Um, a lot of people think that they are privileged just because they are American, just because they can afford um, X, you know, number of luxury brand items or just because they live in the U.S. Um, they think that they don't have to struggle or aren't um, in a position where um, they have to fend for themselves, um, you know, the best way that they can. And they think that they have it so highly. But, you know, we're seeing that in the time of the coronavirus, even the time back in 2008, with the uh, crash that was immense and felt across all social economic stratas that we were all suffering. Um, and I don't think any American should really be thinking about how high-minded that they are because there are people around the world who eat all types of things and they're from all types of uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. Like even the rich of the rich, they probably eat insects as well. And they probably eat more stranger things than that. You know, things that someone who's a little bit lower um, economically would never fathom of eating. Or maybe they're eating things that are way more strange. Like maybe rats. Or they're eating uh, the the type of food no one else will want. Um, I think we have to culturally see how we can have that exchange of looking at somewhere like how... Um, seaweed is prevalent in East Asian dishes and culturally how that is and how we can emulate that. Um, you know, the U.S. is known for their smorgasbord of different um, foods that you can eat. You know, you can eat Ethiopian, Vietnamese food, traditional American foods, your comfort foods. Um, you can eat, uh, you know, paleo dishes. You can eat, uh, you know, pescatarian dishes. You can have your array of different dishes. You can have, you know, South Korean barbecue, Korean barbecue. You can have your, you know, down home Southern cooking, you know, your New England delights and clam chowder and lobster tails, things like that. Um, I think we have to do the same with these foods, these foods of our future, the seaweed and insects, um, lab grown meat. We're going to have to be able to do that 
um, now, and it's happening now. Um, seaweed is it's getting up there. Um, Lab-grown meat is already starting to uh, be a part of uh, American uh, grocery stores, supermarkets, beyond. So I think we're going to have to do the same with these other foods and other foods, um, you know, beyond the ones that I talked about. Um, seaweed is amazing. It's extremely lightweight. Um, I even, um, you know, had a bit of it for the snack uh, for the Eco Company Spotlight. I'm going to talk about a few months uh, in, the, in the future about it was amazing. And so I think seaweed is um, to be acknowledged. It's to be eaten. It's to be cultivated in such a way that it's not damaging our environment to the point where we cannot recuperate. I don't want um, seaweed to become the next cash crop like corn, and then um, it displaces uh, so many um, people, and it 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 be such a a crop that is almost cheapened because of its expanse and how far um, it has to travel and how we have to uh, get it commercially. Uh, mechanized and processed. I don't want that to happen to seaweed. I do want it to, um, I do want it to keep um, the traditions of how it was prepared. Like if it's more healthy um, to cook it the way that it's done in East Asia and East Asian countries, let's do it that way in the U.S. Let's keep that going. Um, you know, if there are creative ways that seaweed can be prepared that's also healthy, let's keep it. Let's do that. That also helps um, the bit about obesity that I was talking about earlier and how in the U.S. obesity is such an epidemic. There are millions of people suffering from diseases that are preventable all because of their diets, all because of what they're eating. Um, I think these three foods uh, are different and extremely diverse, but they're for those who are conscious about what they eat. They're for those who are open about ex exploring um, different foods that they will not have heard of before listening to this podcast, or maybe just don't eat on a regular basis, you know, versus people who are more skeptical or more anxious and worried about, you know, how to get these foods or they, they think, you know, maybe the cost is a barrier. Um, I think that the access to these foods, um, could be a challenge, but that's another part of the puzzle uh, when trying to uh, make these foods part of our future. Um, you know, if, if these foods are going to be uh, recognized nationally, internationally, you know, even accessible online, um, we don't know. Not everyone has these answers. But um, for the brands that I've researched and know about, most of them are available uh, where you live in your grocery stores, if not online or through um, a retailer that is, you know, authorized to sell their products. So um, I do want to do um, more episodes about foods of the future. So I'll probably make this um, a series and then see how, um, you know, more uh, stories and news about it comes along. And then I'll probably update this piece. So uh, next we're going to move to the Mother Earth Minutes to get some easy tips of how to implement these foods into our diets. The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and protect Mother Earth. So the message for this Mother Earth Minutes is to not be a skeptic. 
don't be worried or you know maybe ashamed that you can't afford these foods or you're you're not thinking about um, how it'll look in the future um, even buying these foods but I think what you can learn from this podcast episode is about these foods but also how to um, be curious you know on on greener thoughts on this podcast we're all about learning and sharing information but also making it a space where uh, we can you know think deeper to um, be more inquisitive and to really be on the journey of learning all things environmental and with these foods that we talked about uh, that we learned a little bit more about they all are alternative. Um, and so I think incorporating them in some fashions into our diet, um, you know, saying yes to food instead of no to food or, oh, it's gross, you know, that's a start. Um, the first tip is super easy um, and it's really simple. And it's to explore these alternative plant foods, um, explore eating insects like crickets or um, different, uh, you know, Insects you wouldn't have thought about, you know, maybe getting access to them from some, you know, crazy website, you know, having some caution there, you know, even seaweed, like having a seaweed as a, as a food that will, you know, replace maybe French fries weekly or, um, potatoes, you know, that you have that are maybe baked potatoes, you know, maybe seaweed is, um, something that you're going to be addicted to health, healthily. Um, and have it as a healthier option, maybe that's going to be the food for you, but you won't know unless you try seaweed. Um, I would try looking up different brands. I'm going to name off a few brands in the next tip, but I would start there. Start small. Um, Look at uh, different brands that sell crickets and, you know, dead ones or ones that have been... um, you know, prepared in such a way that they're just tasty. Maybe they're stir-fried crickets. Maybe uh, they're they're boiled crickets. Or maybe they're in some um, food that makes it look like they're not insects. You never know what you could be um, attracted to with your eye um, as far as food. You know, having food look good is half the reason why you eat it, other than the taste and the texture, or maybe it's... Um, it's heartfelt to you and how you've, you've grown up with that food. Smell and presentation is everything. Um, trying new recipes. I love recipes. I recently bought an audiobook. Um, it was free on uh, Kindle, and so I'm going to be using all those recipes. There's like so many pages in it, like over a thousand pages or so of the book. And good thing that it's a it's a an audiobook, it's a, a Kindle book. And so uh using recipes that have these these foods in them is is amazing. The uh lab grown meats, they usually have um uh different recipes or variety of products on the manufacturers um websites. So that's a good place to start if you're really shy at cooking or you don't know where to, you know, begin. Um I would also try, if you're really um, worried about it, maybe try replacing one of your foods, one of your meals or foods that you eat with these once a week. Maybe try some, um, you know, Beyond Burgers, you know, once a week or um, some Impossible Burgers once a week or other hot foods that they have that are just, that are similar Um, because Beyond Meat has a whole array of products that they have, not just burgers, but burgers are like the number one most famous product. 
Um, and if maybe you don't like, um, you know, Beyond Meats or something else, then try another brand of uh, non-meat food. Um, it's still great. It's just a different brand. Uh, could be, you know, different uh, taste to your taste buds. It could, you know, be cheaper. It could be more expensive, more luxe. Um, you know, and trying to try to incorporate those brands slowly but surely. That's what it's all about. Um, second tip, really easy as well, is to listen to a few of my other podcast episodes if you haven't already, and just uh, go to the Eco Company Spotlight segment, which is usually in the latter quarter um, of those podcast episodes. So I did one. Um, called Can Air Pollution Make You Fat? And that was from March 19th, uh, 2020. And it featured Beyond Burger. I love Beyond Burgers. I've talked about them and Beyond Meats, all their foods. But the Beyond Burgers, I have a lengthy um, review of them in that podcast episode. So if you are anxious or maybe new to Beyond Burger or maybe other foods that they have or you want to try, Um, you know, learning about their foods, that's the place to kind of get started as far as maybe a notable popular brand and seeing how it does. Maybe, you know, one of the, um, you know, supermarkets that's featured in, maybe you live, you know, right near, maybe you live near a Giants or a Whole Foods. And so you can pick some up and then see how you like it. Uh, Next uh, podcast episode is the zero waste movement in the age of the coronavirus. I had fun with that episode. And that was from uh, March 15th, 2020. And so that featured Morningstar Farms. That is a great uh, line of foods it has. It has breakfast options, um, little eatery snacks, um, I think other uh, hot meal, comfort food type of um, foods. And of course, they are non-meat. So they're like your um, soy and other types of spices and things that make it amazing and taste just so good. And I ate all of them. I also had a lengthy review in there about them. So that's another popular brand, Morningstar Farms. Um, I also did one a little bit uh, ago um, called A New Food Made from Carbon Dioxide is a Game Changer for Our Food Future. That's related to this podcast episode. And so I did that back on uh, August 11th, 2019. And so I featured uh, tons of different uh, companies within the Mother Earth Minutes there. I talked about Gardein, Tolferky, uh, Field Rose, Perfect Day, Next Level, and then Possible Burger, amongst others. I talked about a ton of different uh, foods, food companies that are doing big things, when it comes to alternative uh, foods that are not meat, but they are grown in a lab. They're plant-based and they taste amazing. You wouldn't believe the difference. So that's also a place to start if uh, you haven't already thought about uh, getting uh, these alternative foods. fact of the day is that a report commissioned by Washington State's legislature accused Representative Matt Shea of domestic terrorism for his role in helping to plan the 2016 armed takeover of Oregon's Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club, Sierra Magazine, in the March-April 2020 issue. 
So we've come to the Ego Company Spotlight. It is an amazing time in Greener Thoughts here uh, towards the end of the program. And it's where we talk about uh, amazing environmentally related products or uh, services and companies that are doing their part to be green. And I've been talking about uh, all the different types of companies and what they offer since 2019. So I've been doing quite a few different uh, companies and reviewing them and their products. If you have by chance a company or product that you'd like for me to try, just let me know. And you can do so by voice message or by email. Um, if you want, um, I'm you know definitely there to review the products free of charge. So I'm going to get to introducing another company which I love. Um, pretty great stuff. I've heard about the company and know their products. So uh, their uh, brand or company they're known as Newman's Own. So as far as the history of Newman's Own, they go all the way back to 1982, where they were seen and are seen now even as a foundation and they function as charity. And so all the monies that are received via grants or donations or other types of funding, they help to operate its work and donating to the organizations it does around the world. It creates programs for kids and much, much more. Newman's own foundation uses the power of giving to help transform lives and to nourish the common good. It's been doing its work for over 35 years and has donated to over uh, tons of different charities and organizations. And they've donated over $535 million to thousands of people uh, deserving uh, their monies uh, all over the world. So as far as their commitment to sustainability, um, there are a few things I note about their products, but they probably have more and showcase more. So they have organic ingredients in a ton of their products, and also they have a whole section um, of products that are just all organic. They have recyclable packaging, um, amongst other things. Uh, Their product selection is assorted. They have things from everywhere. They have uh, barbecue sauce, cookies, candy and mints, chocolate. They have oil and vinegar uh, mixes. They have uh, pasta sauce, pizza, salsa. They also have salad dressing and snacks. And also drink options like coffee, tea, and also refrigerated drinks. And then they have food for your pet. So they have pet food as well. My experience of Newman's own, um, it's been a varied one because I've, I've used their products over the years, but I recently had something different from them. I've had their organics popcorn and I had the butter flavor and I've uh, used a various number of their salad dressings and I think a few more products, but mainly um, they're known for their salad dressings. That's like the number one uh, food uh, option um, or topping that they have. And then uh, the popcorn, um, I decided to try it because I love popcorn and since it was organic and I'm familiar with Newman's Own, I was like, why not? Um, so I think some of the pluses of their products is that they have tons of good prices on their food. You know, none of their stuff is extremely expensive. You know, you, you eat it and it's going to a um, good cause, you know, a charity that they choose. Um, you know, all their profits go back out to the communities that they serve. Um, They have organic options. That's amazing. They have a whole section just dedicated to organic everything. They have wide varieties of their flavors and availability. So um, since their foods are available in tons of different stores, also online, 
Um, if you go to the website, newmansown.com, you can go to any product and type in your zip code or something of that sort, and you're able to find the product where you live. It's that simple. Um, you know, and they sell everything but the kitchen sink. They have tons of different um, things to put on foods or that are foods. So they sort of fill in the gap to what you uh, may have in your refrigerator or pantry or cabinet. They're the place to go to for things like salad dressings and pasta sauces and, and pet foods. And the products are really, really good and hold their own. Uh, Newman's Own can be found online mainly. Um, on the website, you can check them out at newmansown.com. That's N-E-W-M-A-N-S-Own.com. Uh, and then you can go to where to buy. It's at the top of the website. Or you could also go to shopgourmet.com and then search Newman's Own. They're also available in tons of stores um, across the U.S. and also internationally. They are uh, seen in a number of different stores. I'm just going to talk about a few of them um, and then see if you can maybe find them where you live. So they're available in uh, Food Lion, Giant, Safeway, Shoppers, Target, Walmart, and Wegmans stores, Wise. Uh, Whole Foods Market, and tons of other grocery stores across the country and world. And speaking of the world, they're available in places like Canada, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Australia, and also New Zealand. Newman's Own is on the following social media platforms. The Facebook at Newman's Own. They're on Instagram at Newman's Own, all lowercase one word. They're on LinkedIn at Newman's Own, Inc., they're on Twitter at Newman's Own, but they're not as active on there. And they're also uh, on YouTube at Newman's Own Foundation. To contact Newman's Own, just go to the website, newmansown.com, and then go to contact us at the bottom of the website to call, email, or mail them. So we've reached the end of the program. And uh, I just want to thank you all for listening. I love you all. You all are amazing. Um, if you learned, you know, something new about these amazing foods, you know, let me know. You know, share the love of Greener Thoughts and, you know, exploring these foods. Um, I talked about, you know, the podcast details in the Mother Earth Minutes. So uh, with those three uh, podcast episodes, you're able to explore um, the alternatives of food, um, the food that maybe you're used to, you know, instead of takeout, try some tofurkey. Instead of um, regular um, snacks, try maybe some uh, foods that you would not have thought about eating, like seaweed, for example. You know, seaweed snacks are a thing and uh, they are delicious. Um, you know, if you are willing to try these foods, you know, ask yourself, you know, would you be able to maybe start trying these, you know, maybe in the months to come, the years to come, um, and how you can sort of figure out how to incorporate these, you know, every so often and then get to a point where it's more normal to you. Um, you know, please uh, consider this and maybe share it with your friends, maybe those who are considering a different diet or switching out certain things that they used to eat in their diet and maybe they're allergic to or just don't have uh, a taste for it anymore. I think some of the options in this podcast episode they'd love, um, you know, because who doesn't love, you know, some satiating seaweed or some, you know, um, you know, Beyond Burgers, you know, who doesn't love a good burger, but it's just plant-based. It's good food, good fuel. 
Um, so I want to end with, uh, again, thanking you all for listening and being sure to tune in next time to another podcast episode. Please take care of yourselves and please take care of the planet. Take care. Thank you.